You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And Tracy, we are back. It's that weird February where like we get an extra day. It is. Yeah. Leap year. Yeah. So I used to know a guy like- who, who, who his wife was born on February 29th. Okay. And like they were in their fifties and he would always talk about, Oh, I'm dating a 20 year old or something like that. It was just, yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> so what did they like observe her birthday on the 28th or on March 1st? Uh, 28th, I think. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess. But they would always do that joke. Any... You know, it's only every four years. And... Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. There's, uh, this is like the most on brand thing for me ever, but I am excited about it being loop, leap year, which is not generally something that generates excitement in anyone. Um, I just want to be really clear that this is not like, nobody's like breaking out the champagne for leap year, right? Yeah. See, I would, I would, I would, but, if it was quantum leap year. Ooh. <laughs> yes. That would be, that would be exciting. Every year is quantum uh, leap year, right? <laughs> <laughs> true, true, James. But what I was about to to say is every four years, there is a special blend of tea called Brigadoon that the Adagio company produces that they sell only on leap year. Ah. And for those of you who don't get the reference there, there is a musical from like the mid part of the 20th century, like all movie musicals were from the mid part of the 20th century, called Brigadoon about a Scottish town that disappears into the mists and it reappears only once every hundred years. So it is like this city outside of time. And so I'm really excited because on the 29th, I'm going to hop on that website and I'm going to order a (laughs) four-year supply of Brigadoon. And they they limit how much you can buy. And so I go to my other account and I buy another four. I may have a problem is what I'm saying. (laughs) So (laughs) we need to stop talking about my problems and start talking about something else. It's a good thing we have a guest. Yes. Do you want me to introduce him? Okay. So even though his, his last name is spelled E-N, uh, was it, how's it spelled? <laughs> I got to look this up before you set it up. E-N-G-E. I believe it's pronounced Smith. <laughs> right? I don't uh-huh. care how it's pronounced. It's a pen name. <laughs> I know. James Ang. How, how are you? It's been, it's been a long time. It's been a spell since we've chatted. And I'm going to continue talking so you can finish your drink there. Oh, how's it been? Like, it's been a while since we've talked. Yeah, yeah. It's it's great. Things are great. You know, I mean, they're great and they're awful, right? I mean, um, there's a lot of stuff in the world I'm worried about, you know, war, chaos, democracy. Uh, On the other hand, I'm doing fine. So, you know, I mean, I have this weird uh, dissonance going on between the way my life is and the way I know the world is. But that's We kind of get the dog in the fire, finally. Like, we really do get it. Maybe it was just really a good cup of coffee that dog was drinking. (laughs) I'm very excited that it's leap year, too, by the way. So what what specific reason do you have to be excited? Or is there one? I'm very into ancient astronomy and um, the, the the Roman history, and they intersect with leap days because Julius Caesar, of course, introduced the leap day. And before that, they used to have a leap month, uh, intercalaris, which every so often a college of priests would introduce into the calendar to make the, the, the civil year match up with the astronomical year. 
But then in all the civil wars, they, they lost track of doing that. They're too busy killing each other. So the, <laughs> the year the year was like um, a, a full season out of whack with the holidays. So they were having like spring festivals in, in uh, or rather fall festivals in summer and stuff like that. So everything was off, off whack. So I don't know. This sort of thing is right in my wheelhouse. Well, few few people few people know that the real reason he was assassinated was because he created that extra day. <laughs> and it just pissed people off. No. Everybody's like, why does February need to be longer? Why can't yeah, why can't we have a good month to be longer? <laughs> I don't know. I I have always been fond of February, but uh but yeah, uh it's a point of view, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh Ben Franklin lived in fear of his life because of daylight savings time, so well, that that's a fair cop. I mean, um, uh, I, I hate daylight daylight saving times. I don't really care when when our our clock says the sun rises or sets, but I don't like that switching. I think it's nuts. I I can tell you that that, that every single day is exactly the same once you get a puppy. Uh, right. Doesn't matter or, when the or, sun comes or a up. Kid. Doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter when the sun goes down. They're still going to be there. At the yeah, exact yeah. same moment of every day going, I have to be. Right. <laughs> right. At least, yeah. you know, <laughs> if they can let you know, that's the main thing, right? Um. <laughs> See, my daylight savings grievance is is not even – most people, it's about loss of sleep or like disrupted schedule for, for sleep. For me, it's the fact that as, as a teacher, I'm not generally leaving my workplace until – you know, a certain hour of the afternoon, which for, for a, a lot of other people would be considered a pretty early work day. And mm-hmm. so if I'm able to leave the building at 430 and it is pitch fucking black already, <laughs> I'm I'm big mad like that. That feels a little I, I, I could even handle if the sun was setting. But the fact that it is already well gone and has been gone for like an hour is just kind of deeply offensive. So I guess I get it. Although I'm sort of nocturnal. So, I mean, it might take several days for the sun not rising for me to notice. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eventually yeah. peek out the window and go, huh? Yeah. I mean, every now and then I like to see the sun, but I live in Northwest Ohio, so I hardly ever get to see the sun anyway. But oh, it being overcast here so much. We're Tracy, isn't, for- isn't, isn't Todd in Ohio? Yeah. Yeah. Todd, Todd, one of our one of our longstanding uh, patrons. What a yes. what a pain in the butt! I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> edit that out, right? No, I'm never gonna edit that out. Todd knows better. I'm gonna that's I'm gonna. Uh, the, he he was talking bait. about like he put a meme out today about the uh, turn signals, and I had to explain to him that in in California where I grew up, cars don't come with turn signals. Mm. So I, I wasn't sure what he was talking about there. Um, there but are anyway, uh, most places in the Midwest too. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna change the subject slightly because Tracy and I were were talking before uh, in the green room, and James, I'm trying to remember how we came to know each other and how you came to be on the podcast originally. Was it through Lou Anders and Pyre? It was probably it, yeah. Lou probably um, set up the introductions. My novel was uh, my first novel was nominated for the World Fantasy Award that year, so that could have been part of it too. And I'm wondering it's what still, year was I'm that? I'm still living on that, by the way. Um, uh, <laughs> what year was that? Nominee. Was, was that was that when it was in? Um, oh God, where was it? Baltimore. It was in Ohio. It was in uh, uh, Columbus, I think. Uh, Columbus. Year, well, I, I'm wondering if that's the year that we all went because Anilio and I went, and Donardo from SF Signal went as well to World Fantasy when it was 2010. In Ohio. Yeah, that or, may have been. Or was it, 
Shikon. Um, well, that uh, could be not too. this last Shikon, but the previous Shikon. I think we there, might there was there was there was a year where Lou brought in all the Pyre people to a world mm-hmm. con, and then there was a year where um, oh my gosh, uh, Lee from Angry Robot was he an Angry Robot? Hmm. Um, brought in everybody to a world con, including like Lauren Bucus and bunch of other people uh mm-hmm. so th- th- it's entirely possible were you there was a uh, i was also telling tracy there was a sf signal panel that we did where we recorded oh, yeah. like 15 people all sitting around talking about sword and sorcery like the black eight people were there right were you on I, that were you in that yeah, that was at world fantasy too um unless i'm totally screwed up i think long yeah i can't ago. remember it was a very long time ago. Anyway, so so we have known you for a long time, uh, at least yeah, I yeah. have. And when when we were looking at trying to get some people on, as usual, Tracy always goes, "Is there like people that you want?" and and blah blah blah. So you were you were definitely on my short list because we hadn't talked in so long, and, and we're yeah. still Facebook friends, and I still see your posts and and stuff like that. Sure. But I haven't I haven't seen like what's going on with Morlock lately. I don't know. I know you're still writing short stories with yeah. Morlock. I haven't heard like any big, huge news. Like he got married or something. Well, he got divorced. Kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Let's see. Um, well, there, there's, there hasn't been much activity on the Morlock front. Although uh, last year I had a story out from Old Moon Quarterly, which is this. Uh, it's they be- they put out a beautiful little book, and they do e versions and. Um, hard copies they have great art and because this is a uh, this is an audio podcast uh, <laughs> um, you uh, uh, you uh, you'll have to take my word for it oh, of course oh, yeah, you know gorgeous. in the future you should you could search you could search for old moon quarterly and you'd see the great sepia toned and black and white art that they uh, they get for their, um, they it's, get for their it's also on the it's also on the homepage of your website so oh that's true yeah. Um, I, uh, so people could just go. I, I'm nuts about their art. I, I love the book, and uh, I, I would, uh, and I sent them a story, "Evil Honey," which I'm especially proud of because it's both very lighthearted and very depressing, which seems to me speak to the moment of the time. In in <laughs> yeah. one in one way, it's about Morlock getting shrunk down to bee sized and sent into a hive to solve a problem, and. In another way, it's about a society that's so sick that it's going to destroy itself. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's poignant. That that speaks to the sort of the dissonance that I feel like I'm living in these days between you know having a pretty good life, you know, I mean, and also knowing that that life is teetering on the edge of chaos. Yeah. Sure. So let's take a step back for a second because mm-hmm. I know you. Tracy read up a bit about you. But I don't know that she particularly knows you. Our listeners, uh, we might have all new listeners since the last time you were here. So sure. why don't you why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself, about your writing, about Morlock Ambrosia, your books, your shorts? That, like give give us the give us the Cliff Notes version that you love to see in class. Well, my bio on social media is always classics by day, sword and sorcery by night. The other way around sometimes. Um, I teach myth and Latin at a public university in Ohio. Um, in Northwest Ohio, I'm. But the the sword and sorcery, most of it features this guy Morlock Ambrosius, who is an alcoholic. He's got scoliosis and a limp, and 
he, he has this amazing ability to make stuff, but everything that he really cares about in life has been taken away from him. So he drinks. And through the central portion of his career, he's just trying to drink himself to death. And people keep interfering with him and making him like live and do things. <laughs> I don't know why this character became so important to me, because it's very unlike me. Morlock is taciturn, you know. I mean, uh, pages will go by and all he does is say, eh. <laughs> he's, he's an alcoholic. And although I've worried about that my, for myself, because there's a lot of uh, uh, substance abuse in my family, I, I don't feel Mine that I'm well. alcoholic. Um, of course, many alcoholics don't feel that they're alcoholics, but uh, yeah. it's, it's literally been like six months since I've had a drink. It's it's your problem, not their problem is usually what I uh, That's true. You know, I mean, if you can't handle the real me. Exactly. No. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's because he's like a, a mirror universe version of me. Uh, he's very good with his hands. You know, I break things just by being near them. Uh, <laughs> In in some ways, he's he's what I would like to be. In some ways, he's what I, you know, I'm glad I'm not. But anyway, he's, uh, uh, I have written about people other than him. I've got a novel in progress about Odysseus at the Trojan War, uh, part of which has been published years ago as a, as a, a short story, uh, Thieves at the Gate. Mm-hmm. I just, over the summer, I, I wanted to see if I could finish an entire mythological novel uh, in the course of a summer, so I, I did. I have a question. I have a question. How mm-hmm. can how can Odysseus have been in the Trojan War when he just landed on the moon? Well, he's a guy who gets around. Uh, that's the first thing we ner- learn about him. He's polutropos. He's a he's a man of many ter- turnings. And and because this is an audio podcast, the listeners did not see the look Tracy gave me. <laughs> they heard it. <laughs> the long suffering look that just screams Patrick Louise. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> I'm very excited about that landing. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I grew up uh, with Je- Gemini rockets going off every other weekend. Okay. Um, you know, was nine when when uh, when Apollo eleven landed on the moon. It's been kind of dis- the, the 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 space news has been disappointing in lots of ways. Uh, although we we have lots of astronomy and stuff going on, which is incredibly exciting. Sure. So anyway, you were you were talking about your 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 mythology book. Oh yeah, right. So uh, I don't know. There's a lot of the Hamlet story that Shakespeare left out, and when I read about it, I was shocked. And then I thought this would be a damn fine novel, so I just ripped it out over the summer. Now, whether anyone will ever see that, you know, um, is another question. But uh, sure. um, I do write about characters other than Morlock, but Morlock seems to be the one to come back to, like Fritz Leiber with. Baffert and the Grey Mouse or, you know, generation mm-hmm. after generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always something new to say about him, not so much because he's changed, but because I've changed. It's it's funny because one of the reasons that I was thinking about you is because I, I ended up listening to, um, so let me go back. Another one of our patrons, we do talk about our patrons quite a bit. Another one of our patrons is Robert. Mm-hmm. Robert is is just such a troublemaker. And he, he mentioned uh, Michael J. Sullivan in passing and something that we were chatting about. And it reminded me that I really liked the Rayura books from Michael J. Sullivan. And I knew that he had written some other things in that universe and that world that I had not picked up. And so I went and I went on audible cause I listen to almost everything now. Like audible is my, is my jam as Tracy knows. And, and I went and I found the, the series that I was specifically thinking about, which is like his age of legends 
which is a, a prequel from thousands of years ago mm-hmm. and, and kind of sets up the whole world and I ended up listening to that and really liking it, except there was a, there was a couple of moments where I was, you know, screaming at the characters for making stupid decisions, which I know authors love. And, but I ended up listening to that and then it made me go back and re-listen to Rayera and both series Chronicles and Revelations. And, and it kind of got me in a little bit of a, a sword and sorcery kind of jam. And, and so it just kind of came together when, when Tracy and I were talking about guests and stuff that I was like, oh, I need to talk to James again. Sword <laughs> yeah. and sorcery is having a bit of a renaissance lately. I know it's always having a bit of a renaissance. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. But, but still, um, there's a couple of great new magazines out. I mentioned Old Moon Quarterly. Um, there's a uh, new edge sword and sorcery with, uh, Oliver Brackenbury is putting that out. They've, they've got a Kickstarter in progress, I think, but yeah, sword and sorcery is, um, uh, is, is having a little boomlet lately. And it's, it's kind of, I don't know, um, for someone who sat through like the dark age of sword and sorcery, um, uh, it's, it's cool to see all this new stuff come out and new kinds of stuff. I mean, it's not all, you know, let's imitate Robert E. Howard or what we think Robert E. Howard wrote, which is usually they're imitating the comic books. Um, mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, different kinds of people writing it and different kinds of story being told. I, I, you guys, I you guys to... probably heard of this. Noble Bright. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the opposite of yeah. Grimdark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And one of the live topics on one of the uh, Facebook groups I'm on is whether you can have noble, bright sword and sorcery, because mm. should the sword and sorcery hero be selfish, self-directed, or can they be magnanimous and be, I guess that's what noble, bright is all about. I, I don't even know what stories fall into the category of noble, bright, because I just heard about it. You know, I I kind of want to rewind a little bit because I think we, we don't want to take the uh, familiarity of our listening audience too much for granted. Sure. But when you talk sure. about kind of that you you lived through the dark ages of sword and sorcery, I think what what are you thinking of when you talk about them having a dark age? Well, um, uh, I'm so old that I don't mind admitting how old I am. So I'm <laughs> I, I was a teenager in the 70s and Fritz Leiber was just putting out his great collections of uh, the Faf and the Grey Monsters series in Ace uh, in Ace paperbacks with glorious Jeffrey Catherine Jones covers, um, just uh, and they just blew my mind and it really refocused my writing on that kind of stuff. Even though I, it would be decades before I was published. Uh, so uh, at that time, there was like a boom going in sword and sorcery. The Conan paperbacks had started it from Lancer and then later Ace. Um, Michael Moorcock had a bunch of different sword and sorcery series running and still has them running. He's still publishing them. Um, And uh, there's just a lot of this, um, I don't know, choppy, rather short, intense, action-focused fantasy, uh, which is a a world away from uh, Tolkienian fantasy, which, by the way, I also love. But um, uh, this is more immediate. and um, that was great. And I thought it would be that way forever. And then uh, then the 80s came along and that boom just died. And um, magazine we after kind magazine. Of our, our doorstopper epics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big, big fantasy epics, you know, imitators of the sh- sort of Shannara, which was imitating Lord of the Rings. Um, the Chihuahua Killer uh, comes in. You know, these books are getting bigger and bigger. Um 
and uh, magazines are becoming more. I, I don't mean I don't mean to make this sound like a criticism, but they're becoming more literarily sensitive, and sword and sorcery doesn't match with that. And so there were a lot of there are a lot of magazines when I was submitting that just said no sword and sorcery um, in their uh, submission guidelines. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that went on for decades and it didn't change until, I don't know. So black gate, I think really um, in the early 21st century started doing that kind of adventure fantasy again. Mm-hmm. So um, and, and it was a long, and dark just so you know, the, 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 the time frame that you're talking about is now being referred to as the late 1900s. <laughs> and that sure? is true. That is true. I, I'm not one of the people who think of the '90s as like just recently. Um, uh, to me, that's a that's a different world. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm amazed that we had that world, um, and I feel that we're stupid um, uh, to do what we did to it. But um, it, it's um, it's interesting what, that you mentioned that you mentioned uh, submission guidelines specifically saying mm-hmm. no sword and sorcery. Uh, Tracy, mm-hmm. when's the last time you looked at submission guidelines for something? Oh gosh. Um, about a year ago, there was an open call for something. Um, and I, I remember looking it over and then of course there's, there's some sets of submission guidelines that haven't really changed very much over time and are, are a little bit infamous. Um, Clark's world comes to mind for instance. No talking cats. Um, uh, yeah, no talking cats, no, no zombie stories, you know, yeah. things of that nature. Um, I, 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 you know, I, 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 I actually set myself a lifetime goal. Okay. Um, somehow, some way, getting Neil to publish a story with a talking cat, possibly a zombie talking cat. I think an easier <laughs> move would probably just be to write a story that has everything on the forbidden list, and to just like I don't know, send it to him as a birthday gift or something. And say, like, this, <laughs> or, or, this isn't or, really or, a yeah, right? Or an or, anthology, a themed anthology. Um, the oh, the forbidden the zone. Neil hates this. Oh, Neil hates this. The anthology yeah, get, get, of. Get uh, get uh, Lightspeed to publish it, and then and then send a link to Neil. Going, huh, see, <laughs> see. <laughs> I like to joke um, about my relationship with Lightspeed Magazine. In that, um, the real reason that that their name is appropriate is that they gave me the fastest rejection on a short story I've ever gotten before in my life. Um, it was eight minutes from the time I sent it. Yeah. Um, so I assume that they must have just like that. Is soon like they must have read. I don't know the first like two pages of it and been like, "Oh no, no, <laughs> no, sweetheart, this will never don't, work." Don't 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 Lightspeed and Clark's World and someone else use a system. I thought they used a system that 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 immediately like looks at your submission uh, and then decides whether to pass it on to a slush reader or not. I thought there was a. I thought there was something. maybe not there at the like time that I did this submission because okay. this has been several years ago that I that I sent. And, I'm, and I'm not saying they use AI; they don't use AI, but they they had something. No, I no, no. There's like use, like some sort of submission system, or uh, well, they mostly remember that. Yeah, they mostly use Moksha. Um John Joseph Adams used to be the uh, managing editor or something at uh, FNSF, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, uh, that this is back in the uh, days of ma- submitting by mail. Um, yeah, and self trust envelopes. Within a few days, I would get my rejection slips from fantasy and science fiction. I mean, uh, I was very impressed with their efficiency. Um, I, I would have been even more impressed if they'd ever bought a story of mine, which didn't happen <laughs> right. Oh, a, a few years ago. Instead, um, you just have to live in constant concern about their taste, like vague cultural anxiety, sort of pity almost. Oh, FNSF, 
lighting no, can't I, you see I, the uh, thing when it happens? <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 I understand that I'm an acquired taste that many are not interested in acquiring. That's okay with me. Um, Fair. but yeah, um, yeah, it, uh, it, but it was, I mean, I, I'm a lifelong reader of fantasy and science fiction and that was my, um, that was one of my, uh, you know, holy grail moments, uh, was when, uh, I finally got a story published and a Morlock story, uh, published mm-hmm. in fantasy and science fiction a few years ago. Um, nice. there you go. I, I've got one that. in the queue there now, but, uh, they've, but this has been a troublesome year. They just put out a, uh, a winter issue, mm-hmm. um, uh, which they haven't been a quarterly um, before this. They went to bi-monthly format a while okay. ago. Um, but uh, it was it was exciting to see that issue appear because every everybody was worried about you know uh, some you know magazine. Are we not moving forward? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, there's been a ton of changes. I know that I've seen um, a lot of anxiety from people in the magazine publishing field about um, Amazon no longer distributing for them, for instance, yep. through, through their ebook yeah. description, uh, ebook subscription. So now so many of them are having to rely on, you know, waitlist books and other sorts of distributors sure. that just aren't generally as known uh, by people. Yeah. Um, it's uh, that uh, it's shitification, right? That's um, yeah. the Cory Doctorow's term um, mm-hmm. for this process where a company moves in, they, they make it good for the customer um, and, and they get a big chunk of the business that way. And then they make it good for the middleman and they keep on getting money that way. And then they start to take all the money for themselves and the, the thing dies. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like Amazon did that to um, magazine subscriptions and it's maddening because mm-hmm. yeah, it's, uh, it's tough enough for mag. It was tough enough for magazines before that. Yeah. And, right. and, and it's, it's, I mean, we live in a, we live in a world now where, uh, even, even when you look at businesses like retail businesses, there, there's a couple that they always say are recession proof and inflation proof mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's bars and liquor stores, right? <laughs> Those are the ones that are kind of recession proof. More like would agree. Uh, when, yeah. When you look at, when you look at magazines, uh, I, I don't think anyone ever would have thought that sports illustrated would be having problems. And now sports illustrated is having problems. Like mm. it's sports. It's kind of, again, another uh, kind of sort of recession proof inflation. proof. Like people are always going to no, it's, it's, it's struggling now and they're doing all kinds of weird shit to, to try to keep it going like AI stories and all this kind of stuff. So it's just, it's just really, really hard right now. You've got also people are freaking out over Spotify. Spotify changed their terms of service. And basically says that anything like audiobooks, I think, is specifically what people are freaking out over. If mm-hmm. you put your audiobooks out through Audible or through uh, not Audible through uh, Spotify, that Spotify owns them and can do whatever they want with them. They can reproduce them. They can they can do sequels to them. They can do whatever they want. And so people are freaking out over that now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, but uh, a lot of it is like venture capital. I mean. Um, uh, I'm sure Sports Illustrated could continue to make money being Sports Illustrated, um, but um, maybe not enough money. It's the growth model, right? It's not enough to make money. You have to make more money and more and yeah. more and more. And the only yeah. way you can do that is to squeeze all the juice out of the piece of fruit that you've got in your hand, and then you throw it away. <laughs> um, but that's not a I, model for 
yeah. sustainable businesses. I, I have a, I have a very, I have a, I have a personal experience story that that is from very very long time ago. I worked for my aunt and uncle. They were they they owned a business mm-hmm. that was a wholesale distributor for aftermarket appliance parts, and mm-hmm. and also we sold uh, new HVAC equipment. So if you need an air conditioner, you could, you know, the the person who would install it for you bought it from us. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, we were we were uh, authorized as a as a general. Uh, no, I'm sorry. As a genuine General Electric parts wholesaler, which meant we got to buy parts from GE. So if you needed a GE part, you came to us to get it. And every year they would come to us and say, well, you need to buy more. You need to, you need to stock more inventory. And we would go, there's only so many drip pans that people need. There's right. only so many elements that people need. And so we, we wouldn't do it. And they, they came to us and they're like, uh, well, if you, if you don't do this, we're going to, we're going to open up other distributors that, that can do that. And we're going, there's still only so many drip pans that people are going to buy. They opened up Home Depot. <laughs> they made Home Depot mm-hmm. an authorized genuine GE person. Mm-hmm. Our sales went down. <laughs> Sure. And, and they come to us and they're like, well, your order is even less than it was before. Well, yeah, because we still have the stuff on the shelves because you opened up Home Depot and people went to Home Depot and bought it. And they're like, well, we need you to we need you to order more. You need to order more. You need to stock more. And we're going, we can't because we're not selling what we already have. And they go, well, you know, they still needed to make their numbers. They still needed to show growth. So then they opened up Johnstone Supply. And now Johnstone Supply across the nation is selling genuine GE parts. So every time they do this, they're just cutting into everybody else. Like they get this nice big boom because now Johnstone's like, okay, we're going to put in a stocking order and they order a bunch of stuff. There's still only like 20 drip pans that need to be purchased in this market. <laughs> and and that's it. And then no one else is going to buy them. It's and, and so it's, it's that, that same kind of market. Normal business practice that yeah that it's natural for like you know people to be buying tulips um, or internet stocks at, at or or uh, residential real estate and enormously inflated prices. But bubbles are yeah. aberrations. They're not sustainable business cycles. I don't know what what do I know about it. I'm a classicist. <laughs> um, but uh, what has history ever taught us? Exactly. Really? I mean, um, yeah. if the Romans were so smart, why are they dead? Yeah. Well, I mean, the roads are still around, so <laughs> that's yeah. true too. Couple in aqueducts um, too. <laughs> um, uh, it would be interesting to think in 2,000 years how many of our structures um, are, will still be around because they are not built to last. No, they're not. No. Um, I look around town, uh, uh, a town which will be nameless. Um, and, um, you know, I want, you know, in 2000 years, none of this stuff is going to be here. In yeah. Just go, yeah. Just go. There's a, there's a great game on PlayStation. It's called horizon zero dawn and just mm-hmm. go play that. And you'll see, you know, what's left and what's not. Yeah. 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 Spoilers. Sorry. That was one of the cool <laughs> things about the last of us. Um, the, uh, HBO series, which I wasn't yeah. entirely crazy about. Um, but it had a couple of good things. One, that one episode, uh, with the two guys. Um, but also, um, the, uh, just the, the vision of our civilization untended, slowly collapsing, um, uh, with the mushroom, uh, mushroom invasion. Um, I don't know. I, it was visually uh, arresting a lot of the time. 
Yeah. That that reminds me, I think that if if he wanted to, Pedro Pascal could basically create a virtual version of himself and then he really could be in everything. That it's, is uh, it's coming. <laughs> y- yeah, your mouth to the to the various networks and, and studios ears. That's um they went on strike about those sorts of things. That's yeah. true too, yeah. Yeah. Um, they have to, at least have to get his permission though. Well, I, we, I do know that James while. As you can say, James Earl Jones did sell his voice to Disney for Vader. Mm-hmm. So they, they in perpetuity, I think. So like they can do whatever they want with him. Anyway, Tracy, you were about to tell us that you wanted to talk about something else. Well, I was just going to say that since we we've been kind of uh, dwelling in the in the nether reaches of of what is functional in our uh, mm-hmm. post you know late capitalist society here, maybe it's about time to do a pick of the week to to. Open up the, we the can, positive we can, we can certainly do picks of the week. Picks of the week. And James, since you are a, a, a long time friend of the podcast, I will say, yes, that is still John's voice. So that's like <laughs> the only holdout to Anelia still as part of the show. Some things never change. I I have uh, I still have one of his albums, uh, science fiction songs, on my uh, oh yeah iTunes that comes up occasionally. I, I have them as well because I did a lot of the covers for him. Oh, crazy! So they they still pop up in my iTunes. Anyway, Tracy, what were you going to say? Yeah. Um, well, so on God, this I think kind of fits in with what you were talking about a minute ago, James, about the the whole sort of what can we squeeze out of this fruit sort of thing. And it's it's a field that's always made me a little bit skeptical of when I see yet another redo or yet another reapproach of things, which is probably why, in addition to me being bad at TV, it took me such a long time to get around to watching the first part of uh, Denise Villeneuve's uh, Dune. Uh, but I finally did. Uh, I watched it a few days ago with Husbeast, um, who had watched it you know, quite a long time before then and has been sort of like nagging at me for for a while with love uh, to watch it with him because he, he wants to have it fresh in mind for when the second part of it comes out imminently. Um, I think it's really important to point out that I am not a fan of Dune, the original novel. Now, the reason I'm not a fan of it is probably not fair to Frank Herbert because I read it on audiobook and the particular audiobook production was extremely weird because some chapters were like a multicast recording with everybody having and like sound effects and all sorts of stuff and sort of theatrical radio play. And some chapters were just like the world's most boring dude reading. Um, and there was no apparent rhymer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's no... Um, apparent rhyme or reason between when it's just Patrick reading um, and <laughs> when it's, you know, this full loaded cast with sound effects and the whole deal, which made it a very jarring sort of thing to listen to. Um, and I never really felt like I was sitting in the book completely. So putting my prejudices aside there, I kind of went into it saying, okay, how's this going to feel? And I think the major important takeaway that I had from watching the first volume of Dune is that I went into it kind of expecting to find it tedious and um, just kind of rights grabby, right? Let, let's just get a like a high prestige sort of cast here and fling them at this certain to garner interest property and see what happens. 
Um, and instead, I thought that it was a much more sort of faithful, while at the same time kind of creative approach to the source material. I really kind of appreciated what they did with trying to make more of the secondary characters. Um, and without spoiling anything for folks who, like me, took a really long time to get around to watching that volume, I will say that I tend to find visions a very tedious trope. Um, I'm not a huge fan of visions in books. They're usually like the most boring possible way of conveying information. Um, and so I like some of the things that end up happening with Paul's visions in that they are not what they appear to be. And I will leave it at that. I was, uh, the first volume of Dune I ever owned Christmas, 1970. I got it for Christmas. It said on the back soon to be a major motion picture. Um, well, it wasn't soon, and then it was David Lynch's Dune, which has its defenders, right? But yeah. I consider it to be an amusing travesty. Um, mm. You know, like uh, not not my favorite David Lynch movie. That'd still be Eraserhead, I guess. Um, and then there was the Sci-Fi Channel did uh, a version, the miniseries, miniseries, yeah. And uh, that was so talky. And I, I, I decided that the, mo the book was unfilmable because so much of it occurs in people's heads that there was no way it could be presented as a movie. And then that rat bastard Villeneuve proved me wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, thought, uh, I thought the first part was great, and I'm really looking forward to the second part. Cool. Well, how about you, James? Do you have a pick this week that you want to share with us? Well, I've been reading um, partly because of the Hugo's um, – uh, the Hugo's fracas. I've been reading um, uh, Babel um, by R.F. Mm. Quang, um, which is a real interesting alternate history fantasy. Um, I'm not too far deep into it yet, but uh, I've got a bunch of novels about Oxford on my shelf. It's almost like a, a, a genre to itself, uh, the Oxford novel. Um, and they're all different, partly because you know, there's, there are different genres and different experiences in Oxford. But anyway, that's been a lot of fun. I've also been reading, um, this is an old one. It's Steve Gerber's run on Daredevil Black Widow uh, oh. from the 70s. And it's, I can't, I'm a huge Steve Gerber fan. I love, um, I love Howard the Duck. It's, um, uh, I, I think that he was an amazing um, visionary in, in comics. Um uh, his his run on uh, the man thing is just amazing work. I cannot say that the run on Daredevil is equally great, but there's some interesting stuff. Like there, there's there's this guy Angar, the screamer, and he can make people hallucinate. Um, and Daredevil runs into him, and he has hallucinations, and he can't see properly. Right, the whole shtick is that he's blind, but um, but he has this radar sense which stands in for it. So he's freaked out by having visual hallucinations in the first place. And then afterwards, the cops come to him and they say, tell us, uh, DD, uh, what did he look like? And the, the panel of the comic there is just like outlines. Of course, Daredevil cannot give a visual description of the perpetrator. Um, uh, and they're just not, I've, I read a bunch of Daredevil comic books, uh, but it's, most of them don't come to grips with the fact that he's differently abled. Um, and, uh, like I say, it's not the best thing ever written, but it is, it is consistently amusing and it's old, old stuff, but I just came across it this past couple of weeks. Well, I, I want to thank you for, for mentioning comic books because that'll make Robert happy. And then we don't have to talk about them again for like a year. 
<laughs> Check that off the to-do list. We're good now. Yep. We're good. Robert, you got some you got some comic book talk there, so you better be happy. <laughs> hey Patrick, how about you for picks? I as I mentioned before, I I I read almost exclusively via audiobooks. And that's because of the the nature of my job and working from home and I'm able to listen as I'm doing other things. And I've I've had some hit or misses recently trying to to find something new to kind of latch onto. And I came across Midnight Riot, Rivers of London. I don't know if you have ever heard this. This is Urban Fantasy. Then uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, Ben Aronovich. Okay. I want to say is the author. And then uh, he also gave me a narrator that uh, the, the uh, Kobna, K-O-B-N-A, Kobna Holdbrick Smith is the narrator. And this is a uh, this is a book about a probationary constable who is uh, really wanting to be a copper, as he says. And uh, he's he 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 talks about being mixed race, and and so sometimes he can pass this way, sometimes he can pass this way. He's really hoping that they won't put him in this area of London where they just need African cops to like pretend to be gangsters so that they can arrest people. Uh, he really doesn't want to do that. And and on on the night before his probation ends, he. Uh, is brought on scene where uh, there's been a horrific murder and he's kind of standing there standing guard over the murder scene. And he sees someone in the shadows. He calls them out. He, he goes over and he flips open his little book and he starts asking them questions. Did you see the murder? Did you see the murder? And this person is very surprised and like, well, yeah, I got, yeah, I did. I saw the whole thing. And he's like, great. Tell me what you saw. He writes down all these notes and it turns out he's interviewing a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, I don't know what to do with this. I He's like, yeah, uh-huh. He thinks the guy's drunk or something. The guy s- kind of steps out in the light and he can see through him. And he's like, oh, okay. Wow. I really don't know what to do with this now. And it, and it kind of leads him into this path of uh, the paranormal of London and the stuff that's going on. And, and uh, it's, it's been really, really interesting. It's, it's very engaging. I'm, I'm getting into it. So again, uh, Midnight Riot. Rivers of London, book one. He's got a whole series, and it's 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 good. I'm I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Yeah, crazy, fantastic. All right, so we we've, we've been on quite a journey here for the last. Didn't the time fly? Didn't the it time kinda, fly? Kind of did. So we we do need to wrap up, but we want to make sure that folks know where to find you, find your work. Otherwise, keep engaged in the the Engverse, as it were. So James, where should people look you up? Um, let's see. Well, you know, um, uh, I'm still on Facebook. I know there are lots of reasons not to be, but I am. So I'm on James, uh, J- as James Ang. I think it's James dot Ang is my, um, uh, is my user handle over there on Facebook. Uh, I'm, I'm on blue sky, um, as, uh, James Ang, um, you know, not much imagination there, but if, if I had a really creative handle, you know, it wouldn't have consistency. Mm. And on uh, Mastodon uh, Social, too, I'm on uh, uh, SDF Social. I'm mm-hmm. on there. And, of course, I have the inev- inevitable website, uh, jameseng.com, which I update very regularly, <laughs> at least at least once a year. 
Um, yeah, well, you had you had something for January, so we're good to go. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I would recommend looking out for Old Moon Quarterly. Um, uh, Old Moon Quarterly three. That's where my last story with them was published, and I'm gonna have another story with them this year. Uh, the Ember Eyed, uh, another Morlock story. Am, am I the only person who, whenever someone mentions Blue Sky, hears ELO in their head? <laughs> well, I hear a Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, there's a great song at the end where Frank and Furter sings, I've seen blue skies um, through the tears in my eyes. Um, that's what I always <laughs> think of. So I, I, I flash on Tim Curry, you know, in the big fin- ah. finale. You, um, you want Tim Curry each, to flash Each to their own understood. visual hallucination. Yeah, understood. You want Tim Curry to flash you. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I always hear yellow. I always hear yellow. Anyway, Tracy, I'm I'm so squirreling Thanks. you right now. It's not even funny. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> we better get going, though, because we got more episodes to make. Yep. Thanks for Thank being you, with James. us, James. Thanks. It was great. See you guys. Welcome, dear listeners, to the year 2024. Will it be a better year than its predecessor? Only time will tell. My new dual monitor mount thingy for my desk toppled over and sent my coffee cup over the edge, splashing coffee all over my desk, my clothes, the carpeted floor beneath my feet. Looking a lot like 2023 there, 2024. Hey, have you ever heard of Beyond the Trope? They've got a podcast just like we do, only they have announced it will be ending on their 10th anniversary, which makes me sad. But Giles and Michelle have planned to go out with a bang-up list of guests you won't want to miss. So go check them out, Beyond the Trope. Also, I win. Also, also... For us, don't forget to share this episode with your own friends, and if you haven't already done so, check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash functional nerds. If you like what we do, feel free to toss us a couple of bucks a month to help pay the bills. Also, 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 like us, or give us a star or a review on your preferred podcast platform, wherever you're grabbing episodes from or streaming. It helps, and we appreciate it. Now, did you know that in the 1960s, the CIA tried using cats to gather intel on the Kremlin and Soviet embassies? They equipped the cats with battery-operated microphones and antenna to record data. I wonder how that turned out. Mr. Carpiers. You got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Hello, Patrick. It is I, Clayface. <laughs> Okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, Hey, I really love what you do. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh, wow. And the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited. <laughs>